Welcome to the Outdoor States Podcast. And today on Outdoor States, we have a conversation with Amy Roberts, president of the Outdoor Industry Association, talking excise taxes, talking tariffs, and talking about the impact um, on retailers. Because really, when you look at all of these things, um, passing the cost along eventually ends up at the consumer and the person that has to give that bad news. Yep, your local Main Street retailer. Thank you so much for joining me on Outdoor States. Um, let's jump right into it. I mean, how long has OIA been looking at excise taxes? Well, this um, year actually is our 30th anniversary, and I think it's the 30th anniversary for grassroots, or maybe it's the 25th. So our organizations have been um, around for a while, and you know, I wasn't here um, back then, but it's my understanding, and if you look at our history, um, part of the initial rallying cry for the industry around the formation of OIA and some of the initial things we worked on did focus on excise taxes. Uh, there was an effort early on to um, put a tax on what we were then calling the backpack tax, which was looking at putting an excise tax on gear um, to um, fund different recreational opportunities. Um, I think the funding mechanism at that point wasn't really clear, but the industry really pushed back on that, um, just around the idea that we want uh, outdoor, the outdoors and, and outdoor experience to be accessible to all Americans and not necessarily wanting to increase the pricing for those products. So, the, you know, that was the initial piece. And then um, it hasn't been as prevalent, um, I would say, in the years since. But in the past couple years, I do think, again, that this is a real topic of conversation that the industry should be aware of. And what, you know, let's, let's go back even farther, I guess, and talk about what, what is an excise tax? How does it differ from a sales tax? Sure. So an excise tax, um, where we've seen it administered um, more is at the federal level. And what, one of our concerns is just the fact that um, usually when you see an excise tax, for the most part, it's put on goods by federal lawmakers that want to discourage their use. Um, so, you know, more commonly you see an excise tax on things like uh, liquor or tobacco, gambling, those types of um, activities that might have some negative outcomes that the federal government wants to mitigate. So, you know, an excise tax on cigarettes or an excise tax on alcohol might then be used to go into an account that works against underage use, um, that type of thing, or talks about the importance of not drinking and driving. So um, usually it's actually trying to tax something that could have a negative impact on society. The current excise tax on um, hunting and fishing gear is a little unique. It's been in place longer. And that tax really um, was not trying to discourage those activities, but it was put in place in recognition of the fact that uh, during that period of time, really in the um, early to mid-1900s, some of the um, streams and some of the um, hunting areas in the U.S. had been overfished or overhunted. So it was really around bringing back those uh, wildlife reserves. And then after that, you know, was better managed in more recent years, it's really been used for wildlife um, habitat. Right. And we're talking about the... Um the hyphenated uh, federal excise taxes, which I can never remember. I always have to look them up. So Pittman, Robertson, and Dingle Johnson, right? And one is 
one is more sort of hunting and gun related and the other is fishing related, right? Yes. And um, those are, you know, they're named after um, the lawmakers who move those bills forward. And so that's the, the origin of those names. And um, those, how those, basically those excise taxes have been collected on those products. And then the federal government has dispersed those dollars to state, to states by a formula that um, probably includes some population of the state, but as well as just needs. And uh, those go out to um, the hunting and fishing um, agencies or wildlife agencies. Sometimes their commissions within those states then um, do wildlife management. And um, that tax right now is about 11%. And so um, that is collected at the federal level and it is on those products. I mean, those are all frequently cited as um, you know, I guess, quote unquote, successful programs because they've been in place for so long. They're, they're working. People have figured out how to sort of wrap their heads around them. But what's interesting right now, especially with what happened this year in Washington state, this is, these are, uh, or the Washington state one is obviously a state excise tax and it had an exemption, right? For, for products that were already being taxed through those federal excise taxes. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, the Washington State Bill, I mean, we had concerns with it for several reasons. It definitely did have that exemption um, for, you know, what would be the end use of the product. So it also had, um, it was only taxing products um, of $200 or more. One of the big challenges is that the way it was written, it talked about um, end use. So what's the consumer's intent with the product? And you know, obviously that's something we don't want any specialty retailer to be in the situation of trying to decide which portion of the sales taxed and what's the intent for the end user. You know, intent uh, might be more obvious, but if you're selling a performance outerwear jacket or you know, hiking boots, those could be worn hiking or they could just be worn as a lifestyle purchase. Um, right. Or, or a backpack. I mean, I think it's, 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 I think a backpack is a perfect example. I mean, who's to say whether that backpack is for walking across campus or walking into a national park. I mean, it's a really, I think choosing that end use is, is really interesting. So could you give just a basic background on the, what happened in Washington state? Well, it's been tabled to date. And, you know, one thing I really want to talk about is the fact that um, we um, work quite a bit with the hunting and fishing community. We have a lot of shared interests. We work quite a bit on federal funding, you know, preserving public lands, ensuring they stay public. And so um, we were surprised to see this bill come forth um, without any dialogue with the outdoor industry. And uh, so it came out of really nowhere. And um, so we just had an opportunity that wasn't very long, I would say in about a 10 day period to alert our members in the state. Um, Paul Fish from Mountain Gear um, got pretty involved in terms of showing the impact to the specialty retailer. You know, this was an example where we actually had a brand from Outdoor Research, the you know, now CEO of REI, Eric Art, and then Paul Fish is a specialty retailer in Spokane all co-signed a, a guest opinion talking about the challenges behind making the products more expensive. But I would say in Washington state, there was really a specific challenge around implementation. And it's some of those issues I talked about earlier around trying to decide or surmise the intent of your customer. And then also just trying to collect that tax and remit it. 
And um, so uh, many of our members reached out to their state legislators, voiced concerns. There was a hearing um, that people um, from our community, as well as some of the trail and paddle groups, um, actually the Washington State Retail Federation also opposed the bill, just from a small business perspective, um, came and testified, and that was on a Friday a couple months ago. Um, the bill did not move forward since then, um, but there has been discussion around an off-season task force to take a bigger look at this issue. Um, one of the other concerns with the bill is that the money was only going to be going to wildlife um, habitat and restoration. And, um, you know, of course, our industry's concerns are much bigger around parks and trails and a broader discussion just around recreation infrastructure generally. That's interesting. I was going to ask, you know, because I wasn't aware of what the Washington proposal was 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 intending to fund. And And do you know, did they, I mean, I know it's not, you know, it's not your bill and it was not your proposal, but do you know how much they were um, hoping to raise for that with this excise tax? Uh, I cannot remember if they had a, a fiscal note on it. Um, some of the, you know, some of the feedback we gave is that it actually wasn't going to raise anywhere near the dollars um, that were surmised um, or being talked about in some of the press articles. Uh, one of the one of the issues I think that it creates confusion for people is, you know, when we go out and talk about the recreation economy at eight hundred and eighty seven billion dollars, of course, that's the entire economy. And that includes quite a bit of spending on trips and travel. So if you look at that report, the actual spending on um, outdoor gear and apparel and footwear is closer to about one hundred and eighty billion. And then once you got down to just what you really could tax, and I, in my opinion, it would really only be equipment in the end because I don't think you'll ever be able to really clarify the end use of apparel and footwear or even really define it. Um, you know, that's a much smaller number. So, you know, I do think there would be a lot of effort and a lot of headache for retailers without much revenue generated. And that's a big concern for us as well. But it seems like with an excise tax, and specifically this one, really the only burden is on retailers. I mean, I haven't seen really anybody mention that the burden would fall anywhere else. I mean, you know, it seems like for the most part, the retailers are the ones that have to implement it. In many cases, they just internalize the cost. But uh, am I missing something? Are there other sort of places where, where that, that, would, um, that cash would come? Well, I do think uh, any proposal that's coming at the state level right now has been focused on collection at retail. Um, you know, at the federal level, um, they could just put the tax and ask brands to pay that. Um, but I do think there would be a shared cost um, because depending on the size of the excise tax, uh, you can't completely pass all that on to the consumer because that really increases the price of the product. So much like tariffs um, are not passed on entirely to the consumer, um, it does impact um, different parts of the supply chain. And so those costs get shared across the supply chain over time. And yes, the product will be more expensive because brands or suppliers will not be able to um, eat the whole cost, but whether or not it could be completely passed on at retail is in question too. So I, it's really just raising costs across the supply chain the way, in a similar way that, ex, that uh, the tariffs do now. I think you mentioned it, that, you know, outdoor, 
outdoor industry companies and the outdoor industry association has a lot in common with, you know, the hunting and fishing communities and, and, you know, certainly want to work together on a huge portion of, of our shared interest in this case. And in a lot of cases, it does seem like kind of a wedge issue. That's kind of, kind of dropping in the middle of, of a group that should really be working closely together. There, there have been some things mentioned, and I think you might've mentioned it about continuing that conversation in Washington state. What, what is the, where is that right now? And sort of how involved is, um, is OIA versus how involved are sort of the local companies right now? Um, well, they, we haven't seen yet in Washington state whether or not there will be a task force, but we would definitely engage in that process. And I think you would see our local members in Washington state take part. Um, there have been some conversations at the federal level. Um, we've talked a bit with backcountry hunters and anglers on the issue around um, First of all, I think getting on the same page in terms of what the facts are. So what we've tried to share are the challenges with defining what's an outdoor product, uh, the challenges we have around concerns about implementation, but also, I mean, I talked about it earlier, like what's the true dollar sales of outdoor gear and apparel? And then once you scope that down to gear, what is that dollar figure? Um, the other thing is just our industry, you know, aside from the latest tariffs that are coming from President Trump, our industry already had high tariffs. So there, our average tariff is about 14%, um, which is already higher than the excise tax on hunting and fishing apparel or hunting and fishing gear, um, you or ammunition, um, which is more around 11%. So we're already paying an average 14% on most outdoor goods. Um, some of the goods like uh, performance outerwear jackets, so ski jacket and pants is as high as 28% already. And then if you look at a piece of gore footwear, that could be as high as 37.5% at import. So our products, we're already paying about $750 million into the U.S. Treasury as a result of our tariffs paid by our industry. The thought of adding additional cost is really not something that we're in favor of. And so what I've said back to the hunting and fishing community is I feel like, look, we're already you know, paying significant tariffs. Um, we generate um, significant tax revenue that could be used to fund these, um, you know, the Department of Interior, or some of the recreational tra trails. Users are paying fees on public lands. When you visit a national park, you pay an entrance fee, you um, pay a fee to book a campground and the forest service. So it's not a lack of money. It's really a lack of priorities in Congress. And I feel like that's where we should be working together to say, you know, you, you know, fully fund the land and water conservation fund. That was a commitment that was made that's never been fully kept by Congress before you look for more tax dollars from an industry that's already highly tariffed. The tariffs and you know all those monies are going to the federal treasury, but things like what happened here in Washington, as well as that, that uh, interesting case study you sent me from Oregon on their bike excise tax, you know, those are really coming out of these state level places. And it seems like, I mean, is this sort of a, you know, yet another um, example as to how a lot of stuff is being pushed down to the states and there's a, a bit of a leadership gap at, at, the, at the national level. And so the states are trying to, are trying to find solutions and perhaps maybe it's, it's just that they don't have all the information in front of them. Yeah, I do think that's the case. And, you know, I, if you look at um, our 20 years of lobbying and support of the Land and Water Conservation Fund, 
um, part of that does go directly to the states. It's called the stateside program. And over my time working for OIA, I've seen fewer state groups like the state parks and rec directors used to come in 10 years ago and constantly lobby on LWCF. They sort of stopped because they weren't getting enough money to make that the trip worth it. And so, um, you know, I do think that the states are picking up more of the um, effort here. And um, so what we've tried to do is, you know, we don't want to be a group that's just saying no. So we've tried to work with the states around what are some potential funding sources that make sense that aren't increasing necessarily costs on our products for the reasons I talked about. So um, a couple ideas. One is um, we worked on the great out or um, Georgia Outdoor Stewardship Act, which is called GOSA, and that passed. Um, that was passed by Georgia voters um, just last year, and it got like almost ninety percent of the vote. And basically, what that does is it takes the existing sales tax that's already collected on outdoor gear. Um, sporting goods, those types of things, and says this portion of that sales tax is dedicated to parks and trails and ball fields, um, recreational infrastructure within the state of Georgia. So that is something that we're definitely for. And that, that really does tie, like, you know, these are the products people are buying. They're already paying a sales tax. It's easy for the retailer to administer because it wouldn't be asking the retailer to do anything really different than they're doing now or impose a new tax. Um, then that money that's collected on those goods, which are identified, um, then get diverted to those uses. And then I think the consumer does see like, hey, if I buy a soccer ball or I buy a tent in Georgia, the sales tax collected on that is going to go to the places that I visit. Are there um, poor examples of excise taxes and how that's hurt an economic sector? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a good example um, within probably the last decade. Um, there was uh, Congress put an excise tax on luxury items coming in um, to the U.S. And so, um, you know, it was on Louis Vuitton handbags and other things like that. And uh, so it had this luxury tax. And what um, happened is that sales of those products significantly declined and it hurt that sector, um, even in a population that assumingly has, you know, a lot of discretionary income. And um, so that the Congress then came in, I think it was two or three years later and repealed that luxury tax because they weren't actually trying to depress sales of those products the way they might be trying to depress sales of cigarettes. Um, so that was an example where Congress put a luxury tax on an item and then hurt that sector. Um, I think the other example where there's probably some skepticism in our industry around the federal, um, federal commitment to doing what they would say is that, you know, there's also a, um, a tax that is on visitors to the U.S. So when you come in to the U.S. and you go through customs, um, there's an additional fee on your airline ticket. Um, that really is trying to get it um, visitation to the U.S. and it's supposed to fund shorter lines at customs and more customs officers. And over time, Congress has seen that pool of money and started to spend it on other things totally unrelated to its initial intended use, which is exactly what happened with the Land and Water Conservation Fund. So I think there's some skepticism that once Congress has a new fee that they actually spend the money where they're supposed to, 
And then two, um, just the concern that when you do add cost to products, you actually do depress purchasing. Right. Oh, somewhere, somewhere it's going to happen. How are, do you know if other states are, are thinking about excise taxes on outdoor products? Well, you know, the other area where I've seen it um, discussed is here in Colorado. And um, there was a, a blue ribbon task force um, probably about 18 months or two years ago that came together and you know, really trying to solve this problem around funding for these issues. And um, we were able to present information around our concerns, our tariffs paid, also just the amount of um, revenue we're driving right now. And so the, the group's report ended up going a different direction. It didn't recognize, recommend an excise tax. But um, I do think, you know, it's an obvious um, answer that seems to be coming up more and more when these issues are discussed. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, the Oregon case um, is, is around bicycles is just starting to play out now. But if you talk to people for bikes, I think they say, you know, this is not actually generated the dollars that were meant. And um, I think we'll also see the bicycle groups come out against any sort of federal excise tax because the experience in Oregon's um, not been not been what was hoped for, both in revenue generation, but also in just administration of the tax itself. I think, I mean, it's really interesting. I, I very much appreciate that one sheeter you sent over on that. And just to read from it for a second, you know, in 2017, it was a, essentially a $15 tax on new bikes uh, or new bike purchases of $200 or more, which is, it's funny. It seems like people, it seems safe. It's like, all right, it'll just be on the high end stuff. It'll be a flat fee. It's not like we're going to, um, you know, smear it around. However, you know, the, the expected revenues of, it's, it says $18 million plus, and I assume that's, uh, I don't know, over the, what time frame that's in, but now it's looking at uh, significantly lower revenue projections, plus, you know, the burden of implementation and all those other things is, is fairly sobering. And, and once again, it goes, it goes right to the retailers first and foremost, um, which is not positive. At the same point, um, just as, you know, as the Outdoor Industry Association and as a member of the outdoor industry, there's definitely a, a sense out there that, that there's a lot of projects that are not being funded, I guess. And, and I guess the question is, is could, can the LWCF, if that's really the number one thing, can that really take care of all that infrastructure and stewardship and um, equity initiatives and all those things? Or, or does there need to be another conversation? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I do think there's kind of a two-part answer. I, you know, if I look, I don't think LWCF is a total answer, but it could be, um, you know, it's $900 billion a year if totally, if funded um, as promised, um, $900 million a year. And the other thing is, you know, we're paying right now, I mentioned like the $750 million in import taxes every year. We're generating um, people who go out and recreate are paying around 412 million in user fees, and then our industry is generating about 65 billion in federal taxes paid. So, I feel like the first answer is really we need to do a better job um, convincing lawmakers that our industry and this um, recreation economy is worth investing in. And if you look back 10 years ago 
really Congress only has authority over what's called the discretionary budget. So entitlements, all these other things, um, there's just that money automatically flows to those accounts. So when they get together and they're doing budgeting back in Congress, they're really talking about whatever is left, what the discretionary spend is. And our, the public lands agencies 10 years ago used to be um, – 2% of the discretionary spend went to our issues. That's declined to 1%. So I think we need to do um, come together as you know with the hunting and fishing community and really make the case and get those dollars restored. And then I do think um, we do need to discuss um, opportunities. I would think more at the state level around how do we generate dollars like um, the Georgia Outdoor Stewardship Act there's a similar um, sales tax diversion that happens in Texas. In Colorado, lottery dollars are dedicated to outdoor um, recreation infrastructure. So I think there are opportunities, but I do feel like there are possibly more opportunity at the state and local level. Let's talk, just shift a little bit to the tariff conversation. You know, the excise conversation is just one of many conversations about funding and, and impact on the outdoor industry. and then you you layer in the, this ongoing tariff conversation, um, it, it, seems, uh, it seems like a lot. <laughs> is, is, are the two things related at all in terms of how OIA and, and its members are responding? Well, you know, I think they're related to the extent that, um, that you know, we do have significant tariffs on our products um, prior to the new tariffs. Um, placed by the Trump administration. So, you know, when I am back talking to members of Congress and when our members go back, I think they're actually quite surprised at how high our tariffs are. You know, there's the, having a tariff on footwear as high as 37% is pretty much unheard of in this day and age. Um, we have been successful at reducing some tariffs through the miscellaneous tariff bill process on um, products not made domestically. But those are not permanent, so we have to continue to fight for those. Um, but that is, you know, when we're paying $750 million in our industry, that's a significant cost that um, brands are paying that eventually does get passed through to consumers, and it makes our products more expensive. And so um, the thought of then an additional 10%, which some brands are now paying, um, you know, Cam, Brensinger, from Nemo, um, a grassroots member. I mean, he's got some camp chairs, um, which are very innovative, which are now subject to the 10%. It's now, it now went up to 25%. You know, that really puts pressure on a small business like Nemo um, on that one specific product line that's been very successful for them. Um, you know, there's also some things that happen that are not expected. For instance, if you look at farm to feet, they make, uh, they finish socks in the U.S., but they're importing um, fiber uh, or wool. And so that now that wool has a tax on it. So they're actually, a, you know, a company making products in the U.S. that whose input is now more costly. Um, I know that they've, you know, held off on hiring some new positions because of the uncertainty around this. And then, of course, I think the thought of all products from China um, having an additional 25%, you know, if we have some footwear that's at 37 and you add 25%, that's pretty much prohibitive in terms of even continuing to pr produce that product. And I, you know, I think one concern is that um, when will those prices be 
passed on to retailers. That's something that I do think um, the grassroots retail base should be asking the brands as they meet at the June show. Um, I am going to be talking to the grassroots principals about the tariff impacts because if we do go to 25% overall, I think that conversation is going to happen sooner rather than later. Um, you know, Walmart and some of the other um, big retailers that have that are turning products more quickly and have quicker um, seasons or, you know, 10 week cycles, they've already signaled a uh, that they'll be increasing prices. So it's just a matter of time before um, that's what happens in our industry too, if these tariffs stay in place. You know, is part of tariff lobbying and tariff advocacy at the federal level, is, 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 is any of that about, hey, can you just communicate with us about <laughs> the reality and how long these are gonna change? Because I think there's two conversations that have to happen. One is, what if these tariffs go away in the next six months or year, and what if they're permanent? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think we do. And I think we've been um, pretty successful around, like I talked about, reducing tariffs on certain products through the miscellaneous tariff bill process. And we've also done quite a bit of work on travel goods, um, you know, opening up other countries beyond China for sourcing um, at zero tariffs. And so, um, what you know, we had a webinar last Thursday just to talk the members through what will be the process? And we had more than 100 companies phone in for that. Sure. So the, actually during the week of outdoor retailer, um, this is the week that Congress has set aside for testimony on these issues and really to, for people to come in and make cases that their products should not be covered under the threat of 25% on anything out of China. And one of the big um, cases that some of the retailers or um, brands who have been coming back over the last year have made is that um, they, you know, if you're a large company, you can probably move production out of China more quickly because you just have a global supply chain already developed. But if you're a smaller brand and your um, product is really only made in one factory in China, or oh, you've built this relationship over time that protects your IP, and also where the factory is delivering um, the quality that you want in your product and the innovation, it's not that easy to just pick up and move and get that same outcome somewhere else as quickly. So that's where I think you start to see the impact on small to medium-sized brands um, be more severe and more dire in the short term because they just um, can't absorb the cost and don't have the, the flexibility to move as quickly. Um, and, you know, I just wanted to, to kind of relay this. One thing we've been talking about on the excise tax issue is that then I think is, you know, specific to specialty retailers is that, you know, specialty retailers will have to pass on an excise tax um, in the cost of the product because they're, they don't have, um, they're not an Amazon. So an Amazon could just put that cost in another business unit. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a, a point that I think it, um, in terms of any sort of excise tax um, that comes up at the state level, the most impactful pushback on that for legislators is going to come from the specialty retail community. It certainly seems like a good opportunity for a trade trade associations um, to to show their worth. And I'm just curious when 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 we're heading into outdoor retailer and grassroots, are there um, upcoming seminars and upcoming webinars that OIA is hosting that you'd like people to tune in on? Yeah. So at the grassroots show, um, 
we will be host, you know, we're going to be hosting the panel that you're moderating that is focused on um, issues at the state level. So we'll touch on the excise tax and tariff impacts there. Um, I am going to speak to the grassroots principles in more detail on the tariff impacts later that day at the invitation of the grassroots staff. Um, so, you know, I think an hour set aside for that. And um, I'm hoping to arm the retailers in the room with the, I, the enough information to be able to have some conversations with the brands that they'll meet with during the show around planning for possible tariffs, but also um, there's an opportunity um, the week of outdoor retailer um, for, you know, we'll be testifying in opposition to the tariffs for the, um, the new tariffs um, during that week. Um, Rich Harper, our trade um, expert will represent us there. We will also be advocating for um, time slots for anyone who wants to come into Washington to speak in person to Congress about the impacts on their business, but um, also recognizing that's not feasible for um, other people. We'll be helping um, retailers and brands submit individual comments um, about the impact on their businesses um, or retail stores, as well as, um, you know, doing letters where we're basically asking the industry to sign on. And then at Outdoor Retailer at the June show, we will have a panel that's very focused on this issue um, that um, will be in our educational listings. How big are excise taxes and tariffs um, in the mix of, of, of issues that you guys are on top of? Well, I would say right now tariffs are the number one concern of our members. Um, when you look at, you know, more than 100 phoning in for a webinar and I think the amount of email traffic and visits that have, um, it's generated into D.C., um, the uncertainty and the timeline that the president's put on the decision making really looking towards the end of June um, has put a lot of urgency around the issue. Um, I think the other concern is that, I mean, obviously it's an unpredictable administration, so a lot of it gets decided by tweet to some degree and you learn what the president's, um, that's definitely how the, you know, what the president's going to do over the weekend. Um, you know, that's how this latest round came about is he basically sent out a tweet saying the negotiations were not on track and that he was going to move forward with administering 25% on all products from China. And so I do think there's a fear that if um, that if we do go to 25% of all products from China, that we that's the situation for quite some time and that those are not likely to um, be taken off anytime soon because that's really taking the the trade dispute to a whole nother level. And, and the, the, the reason that that makes it likely a long term is just because it's a it's it's kind of the nuclear option. We're just going to go flat fee and a big one on all products. And that's the signal that this is on. Yeah, I think so. I think that is how um, it's being viewed. Wow, that's exciting. You know, as a small business owner, or a small manufacturer, the sooner you, you, you could count on something, the sooner you could actually start making plans for it. But I think um, at the moment, um, staying on top of it and being educated uh, so you can talk to your, your business partners as well as your consumers seems like the, only, the, best, the best path of action right now, would you say? Yeah, and I, um, the other thing I would say is, you know, the Trump administration isn't necessarily going to change course on this. Um, you know, I think the president's been consistent in saying that he would move forward. So I think the most impactful thing that a small business person can do right now is to contact your member of Congress. That doesn't mean you need to travel to Washington. That is, that's just simply 
asking for a visit in their in-district office. So the members of Congress come home every weekend. Um, they're on recess right now. As a matter of fact, they're not in Washington. Um, there's an opportunity to, to, you know, say, hey, I'd like to meet you in your district office, or I'd like you to come to my store so I can talk to you about these issues or visit my manufacturing um, facility. And, or, you know, simply just call and talk to, um, they ask to speak to the trade staff and express their concerns because it is really going to come back and down to, I think, um, Congress starting to push back on the president that this is going to hurt the economy and this is going to hurt businesses in their district. And, um, you know, in the end, Congress does have purview over trade. And um, it seems at this time they've somewhat you know, taken their hands off the steering wheel and sort of abdicated that to the president, but the constitution does give that power to Congress. So um, I think it's important that members of Congress hear from constituents that are very concerned about this. And at some point you would hope to start to see Congress start to push back. On a bunch of stuff. Amy Roberts, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Um, you know, uh, it's always great to chat with you, and I, I look forward to seeing you uh, in Knoxville in a couple weeks. Okay, thanks, Drew. My pleasure. Talk to you soon.